it is good to be with you guys. I, I know a lot of you, and, and, I'm, and here's the weird thing. Um, I've been gone. We planted One Harbor almost 11 years ago. And when I come back here, everyone looks the same, except for me. I feel like I, I, keep, I keep looking worse and worse, and everyone keeps looking the exact same, man. That Trader Joe's or whatever you guys are on is working. Um, um, but it is good to, to um, be back with you guys and to get a chance to be here at, um, at the Chino um, campus and to get to encourage you guys. It's my first time getting to be here with y'all um, on a Sunday morning. And um, normally when you come and do this and you like, you're in town and you get asked to preach, you, you, you know, I'm going to be straight up with you. You want to do something that's like funny, that's good, that's impactful. You want everybody to go, man, we got to get that guy back. Well, um, what, what we're going to talk about today, I'm, I'm probably not getting asked back, um, but I really felt like it's what I was supposed to talk about, you know? Um, I, um, just for whatever reason, the way God made me, um, I just love this whole thing of being on mission. I love, I love, the, uh, I love meeting new people. I love impacting culture and subcultures and, and all that, and our lives are really, you know, that's just marked a lot of our life and our our journey. Um, and so usually that's what I get asked to talk about, um, is how do we, as those of us who do know Jesus, how do we make an impact on our community? And that will come out of me because I can't, I mean, anywhere in the Bible, I, I open and point. That's what I see. That'll come out today, but it's going to come from a bit of a different angle um, than you typically expect. And, and so, um, yeah, uh, you know, one of the first, you know, things when you think about mission, it's like with communication. One of the first things that, that you have to know, you know, the number one rule in communication is know your audience. Um, and so kind of what we're going to talk about a, a bit is, is just what is the audience? What is the, what is the world out there like? What, what, what are the people around uh, us like? Those people who are living in all these homes, you know, as I drove down the different streets to get to the building this morning, all those people who aren't here, who aren't in any church, who've never been to any church, what, what are those people like? Um, after almost 11 years of leading a church, um, I'm also the chaplain um, for, our, uh, for a couple of different towns, um, fire and, and EMS is combined for us. Um, and so I have a pager and I'm an app on my phone and I just go to nonstop, really hard calls, really sad calls, um, see lots of just really sad stuff. Um, after all these years of all this stuff, um, one of the things I've really come to see is that the audience that we're meant to know, this audience um, everywhere seems to be people suffering. Um, and so I want to talk this morning about suffering. And I'm doing that not just because there's people out there suffering, but because you, you in here, some of you are suffering. Um, you know, and, and, and we've got this kind of thing we've done in Christianity where we've, we've elevated perma-smile preachers on TVs and books, and um, we've essentially made it so that, you know, you, you feel like you have to smile all the time or something's wrong with your faith which means that we even come into places like this and we fake it. Um, the, the number one answer people give when you say, how are you doing, is fine. And there's just no, there's no reality to that. There's no reality that all of us are fine. Um, and so some of you here are suffering, and you're smiling all the time. I'm doing great. Jesus is great. And on the inside, you're, man, you're really struggling. And so I hope that this morning can help you, if that's you. Um, and then for all of us, though, we're surrounded by uh, people who are suffering everywhere. Um, so we're going to do this by looking quickly at, a, um, at a, a portion of a book called Ecclesiastes. I don't know if you've ever spent any time there. It is crazy. Um, it is one of those books that, like, uh, a lot of people through the years have, have, uh, have really kind of questioned, should this even be in the Bible? 
It is straight up scandalous in some places, just bizarre in other places, um, but it's really helpful. Uh, it's, it's got this guy who's the author. He calls himself the preacher, which I like. Feels like I should be calling myself that, the preacher. And um, he, you know, we're meant to think it's Solomon. Whether it is or not, we're really meant to think it's Solomon. Um, and, and this guy, he is a bit like Warren Buffett, Jimmy Buffett, Gordon Ramsay, Hugh Hefner, and Prince all combined, like blended up together. I mean, he, he, he's got it all. He's seen it all. He's done it all. Um, and, and the whole message of Ecclesiastes, again and again and again, he says, hey, all this stuff, it's vapor. It, it's meaningless. It, it, it's, it, it's, he, he's like, it's like you chase the wind. You, you grab it, and it's, it's gone, you know? Um, and, and so he's, he kind of goes at this again and again and again. Every time you think you've found the, the place where satisfaction is going to be found, you grab it, and it's just not there. And that's what real life's like, by the way. Um, and so he, he tests pleasure and wisdom and knowledge and possessions and all these things. And, and along the way, he says some stuff that would make us all church-going people, homeschool people, especially really uncomfortable. Um, he, he's got uh, you know, a combination of between his wives and his girlfriends, he's got about a thousand supermodels he's working with. Um, he has a throne that's surrounded by uh, live lions. Um, he has got ships on the regular bringing in apes and peacocks, um, and, and, and he's drinking like crazy. Um, one, of the, one of my favorite ways that us Christians try to get in the Bible and make it better is um, a lot of people argue that, that the kind of alcohol that Solomon was drinking um, wasn't real alcohol. Uh, now, he says he gave himself to the folly of wine. He wanted to make himself crazy on wine. And we're like, well, it's not real alcohol. How do we explain a guy buying ships full of apes if he doesn't have a drinking problem, right? Like this, <laughs> this, this at least explains some of the purchases this guy's making, right? Um, so this is who he is. And, and he comes in there and he writes this letter. He writes this book and it's confusing. It's hard. But over and over again, he says, that's meaningless. That's meaningless. That's meaningless. It's all vapor. And, and, and turning away from this exhaustion, this chasing of the wind for pleasure and and, and, and stuff, he, he turns his attention in this passage we're going to look at this morning. He begins to, to um, survey the pain and the suffering around him. Um, I'm going to read just a couple of verses here. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. He says, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. Uh, his, his under the sun language is this way of saying basically everything on earth. I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power. And there was no one to comfort them. And I thought the dead who were already dead, more fortunate than the living who were still alive. But better, better than both is uh, he who's not yet been. I mean, that's, that's a heavy thing to say. Has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all toil and skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. And that, that too, is a, it's a vapor. It's a vanity. It's a striving or a chasing after wind. Gosh, I don't know if there's a more relevant passage. Um, we live in a time full of so much suffering and so much oppression. Uh, I've been to as many as three overdoses in a day. Um, this year alone, I've watched a six-year-old boy uh, drown and die. Um, I got off the plane yesterday from being on vacation for two weeks to a phone call from our fire chief to tell me that one of our firefighters, his 19-year-old son, was about to get taken off life support. Um, and I just, there's just so much sadness and suffering. And um, 
And so Solomon observes this and he says, gosh, you know, it'd it'd be better to be dead already. You know what? It would be better to have never been born. And um, so if you're not yet a Christian and you're here, I'm glad you're here. I think it takes a lot of courage to come to church if you're not a Christian. So props to you for that. But uh, maybe you didn't know that us Christians dealt with this kind of stuff. Again, we've not done a great job of really talking about it. And all the people we sort of elevate are all like permanently happy somehow. And so I hope today can help you. Um, This is a really direct passage. I think the first thing that we see in this is that the world is a cruel place to live. Happy Sunday. Aren't you glad you came, right? The world is a cruel place to live. I got little kids. um, They're eight and they're five. They're really cute and they're really naive and they don't totally know this yet. But it won't be long. You know, um, you think about how often people ask things like, why do bad things happen to good people? Actually, bad things happen to everybody. Our world is so broken, so busted up, no matter who you are, bad things are going to happen to you. But even that same bad things happen to everybody can be a bit of a cop-out because actually historically it's true that there are, are people who seem to always be the target for bad things. Bad things happen to everybody, but then there's the vulnerable, the weak, the sick, the elderly, the young, the poor, the uneducated, the unborn, the sojourner, or the immigrant. Historically, all of these people seem to be consistently a target for oppression and bad things. Well, thankfully, there are people in power that can really help. Solomon jumps in and points out something we don't like to think about. He says, on the side of their oppressors, there was power. And so in this cruel world that we find ourselves living in, often it's the people in power who cause or even condone the oppression. It's a terrible reality. Those who are in charge are often the ones causing all of the pain and suffering. Historically in our country, we've, we've got a lot, of, um, a lot of sins in this regard. Um, where was the slave to look when his master sold his kids, beat him, and raped his wife, and the government condoned it? Where does a child look when it's the parent who assaults them? Solomon um, does what a lot of people in authority don't do. This person in real immense authority, I mean, he's, he's the man. He says, hey, I, I know how the system works. Normally people in power say, there's no system. And, and Solomon in power goes, actually, this is how the system works. People like me in power can do things that are really cruel and oppress others. Now, if there's any comfort to be found in this, it's that it's nothing new. Um, it's been going on since almost the beginning Uh, The first um, really sad, hard thing that happened um, after the fall um, in in the book of Genesis was um, these first two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain, the older brother, murdered Abel, the younger brother. And you might wonder, well, how does that really fit with this? It totally fits. Because universally, all of us have always known that the older sibling is somehow meant to look out for the younger sibling. You just know that instinctively. Um, I remember being in high school. Um, and I remember, uh, like, if, if when I was a freshman, I had some freshman friends, or I knew freshmen who had seniors that were their siblings. Does anybody, was anybody a freshman and had a senior as a sibling? Anybody? Yeah. Like, as a freshman, you're terrified of those people. Those, those people are straight up untouchable. Because when you're a freshman, you feel like everybody who's a senior is basically a USC, UFC cage fighter, right? <laughs> they're, 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 there's, it's impossible to defeat them. And so, as a freshman, I would always think, gosh, there are just people you don't mess with, 
and, and people you don't mess with have, have a sibling that's a senior, right? It just, you felt, in, you know, now, now on the other hand, um, older brothers, older siblings are oftentimes the people kind of dragging you into the, you know, making you make some terrible mistakes. Come on, you, you know, I did it first, you try it. There can be that whole thing, that whole vibe as well. But we know instinctively that older sibling has a responsibility to look after the younger. And in this first murder that happens, what we see is this, this person who's really been given a charge, been given an authority, been given power and influence, uses it to oppress, to murder his younger brother. Thousands of years later, thousands of years later, sorry, we, we now live in a world soaked with tears and blood from all these years of oppression, much of it condoned by authorities. Now, you would think that'd make all of us a bunch of social activists, full of compassion and empathy, and here we go, and out the door. But Solomon, I don't think disconnected, jumps to this very next thought where he says, and by the way, all toil and effort seem to come from man's envy of his neighbor. So instead of jumping in and helping and doing something about all this cruel stuff, many of us live selfish lives looking the other way. I don't think these two thoughts are disconnected. It's really sad. Whole lots of bad things are happening. Oh my gosh, there's tons of cruelty in the world. Did you see what she just pulled in in the driveway? We got to get one of those. We got to get a better one of those. Um, I've often thought about this verse, you know, all toil, all effort, all of it strive for man's envy of his neighbor seems a bit extreme. I, I don't know. I think it's, I, 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 um, we, we have hurricanes where we live and uh, we've gotten blasted in the last couple of years. And um, the last year, um, last season, not this season, but last season, uh, Hurricane Florence just smoked us. And, you know, it really uh, it's led to years and years of work for us um, as a church and as a community. Um, we had 34 trees down just on our property. And so, um, you know, I, I've, I would spend all hours of the day um, out chainsawing trees off houses and doing all that type of stuff. And then I'd come back and I'd chainsaw trees until after dark, you know, grind stumps in my, in my house and, and, you know, and... Um, our yard looked like it had, like a bombs had gone off everywhere. And that was last winter, kind of into the early winter. And then I thought, gosh, let me just try to get some grass growing back because it's just ruts and dirt holes and everything. And I'd never really cared about this, but once you start to care, it's easy to care a little too much. And so I, I, I was online thinking, gosh, I'm, I, I don't know much about this. Let me just learn a few things. I stumbled across the guy. I should have known uh, when I stumbled across this guy by his name, this was not going to work out good for me. But this guy calls himself the lawn care nut. And uh, I began to immerse myself in all things lawn care nut. Um, I, I read everything. I watched everything. I watched videos this guy made 10, 12, 15 years ago. Like, I know what the different houses he's lived in, like, across the country look like. I, I could identify him right now. And, and I, I, I just gave myself to it, and I was fertilizing like crazy, and weeding, and seeding, and everything like crazy. And, um, and then I realized, gosh, I might have taken it too far when I, I took an item from his website and, and put it into the shopping cart, about purchased it, and it was these signs that you're supposed to put down the driveway on both sides that, that point outward towards your neighbor that say, you've been dominated, right? <laughs> That, that's when I knew maybe I'd taken this too far. I watched videos by this guy on how you stripe the grass in your yard so that it aims at your neighbor's door. So when they open the door, they're like, Gah! like, it's just like, it, they, they're just dominated by like your perfect grass. And I thought to myself, like, gosh, what, how did I get here? I just wanted to make the yard look a little better. 
but this is who we are. This is what we do. Everything in us, we, you know, why we cut the grass? Because we want the grass to look better than that guy. Like, it just drives us. We're little kids. Why do you want to do good in school? So you do better than all the other kids in school. So you get that scholarship. So you get that job. So you get that house. So you get that. It's just the way the world works, Donnie. Yeah, I know. I know. And it's messed up. Now, is it possible to have work and toil and effort not driven by envy? Yes, but not accidentally. You got to get your game face on to not have work and effort that isn't driven by this kind of envy and consumerism, which Solomon tells us has got its own kind of oppression, own kind of slavery, own kind of sadness. He, he goes on in verses 7 through 8 to say, look, and I saw this vanity under the sun. One person has no, uh, has no other, either son or brother. And this is just the Bible's way of saying, like, they, they, don't have, they don't have family, they don't have friends. This isn't picking on people without kids uh, or biological family. But they don't have anybody that counts on them, that they count on. Yet there's no end to their toil. Their eyes are never satisfied with their riches. He never asked, for whom am I toiling, depriving myself of all this pleasure? This is a vanity. This is an unhappy business. And so Solomon says, this sadness, or this selfishness, it leads to an exhaustingly meaningless and lonely life. So you start off, kind of the, the reaction is, look how sad and, 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 and troubled the world is. Look at all the suffering and oppression. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn my back on that. And I'm going to live for stuff. I'm going to live for the envy of my neighbor. I'm going to work. And, and you find that far from being happy, you're increasingly vulnerable and lonely. He says, you work to find that, quote, there's no end to your toil. You just can't stop. No matter what you get, he says, your eyes aren't satisfied. You never ask, what's all of this for, he says. You find yourself enslaved to what Solomon wisely calls an unhappy business. No one to share life with. He goes on to say, two are better than one. He gives all these reasons. Look why it's better. You fall in a hole, it's better. You get cold, it's better. He's like, no, these guys think, gosh, then I'd have to share. No, thanks. I'd like to do it by myself. It's alone and giving yourself to endless work and to get endless stuff that will never love you back or come close to satisfying you. It's a terrible way to live. And Solomon speaks about this. And the way, you know, when somebody talks about something, you're like, you didn't Google that. You went through that. You hear him describe this stuff. And some of you, this is your, like, this is your thing. You're like, oh, that hurt. That's what it, you listen, Solomon's clearly speaking from a place of experience here. And I know what it's like to not be able to stop and not be satisfied. And he's yelling, please listen to me. It's just vapor. So what do we do? What do we do in this world full of suffering? I think we get four things here. I'm sure there's more, but just for the little bit of time we have, I think we see four things here that we are meant to do in a world that's full of cruelness, cruelty and suffering and sorrow and pain. I think the first one is that we're to acknowledge that this is the way of the world. Now, I know that sounds, you know, trivial or whatever, but it's, it's everything but trivial. It's the fact that Solomon, from a place of immense privilege, the fact that he saw the plight of the oppressed is not a small thing. It's a major thing. This guy would have had to go out of his way to see this. Where, where does this guy see this? Where does a guy surrounded by world-class entertainment and pleasure and food and wine and stuff, 
Where does the guy who sits on the throne surrounded by living lions, where does he go to see people who are, who are crying because they're so oppressed? He would have to go out of his way to do this. He could have bought the kind of life where he didn't encounter this. And for, for us, even though we can't afford the kind of thing that Solomon could afford, we have trained ourselves how to look away. Um, there's a, a, a magazine um, back home in North Carolina called Busted. And they sell it at all the gas stations, and it's all the, it's like a, all the mug shots, all the recent mug shots. It's most of the people in our church. Um, and so um, I'm like half kidding on that, really, legit. <laughs> We got some all-stars. So, um, so I thought about this. I've thought about this magazine just lays there, and you see it every time you go to buy gas or go to buy a drink or go to buy whatever. And, um, you know, how, how trained we are just to look away from that. Or if we see it, we don't see it. Because we've, the other thing we learn how to do is to make a bunch of excuses to why those people deserve to be in that situation. I actually like to see that. To actually look at it and go, man, that is, that's somebody's kid. That might be somebody's mom or somebody's daughter or somebody's sister or brother. Nevertheless, that's someone made in the image of God. Man, to see that. I mean, this is the first step. It's just to see it, to behold it, to acknowledge it. I had a friend, um, extremely wealthy. If I named the company that they owned, you, you would all know it. And um, he said to me recently that he was in his 30s before he ever realized how bad some people had it. And he told me this. He said, I didn't know, I didn't know that they, there were people in our community who paid for their rent with sex. He was in his 30s before he just saw it. Now he's ruined. I mean, now he can't stop. I mean, he is like being as generous as one can be to try to make a difference. But I mean, the first step was seeing it. Now, for some of us, we're really aware of it, growing up with it or, or whatever the case may be. But maybe for some of us, it's just maybe your first step out here in this, this world that we live in is just to open your eyes a bit, to look at it. Um, the second thing I think we see here is that, is that we're to make sure we're not part of causing the oppression. Uh, and, and you know what? You would think that would make you like this sort of like villainous monster, but actually it's really easy. Pretty much, I mean, it, it, if you have any kind of influence at all, this world is set up for you to be the kind of person that takes advantage of, of other people. Any kind of influence you have, we live in a world that, is, that enables you to take advantage of them. You, you don't have to try to take advantage of people. You have to try not to take advantage of them. That's, that's the world we live in. And it's easy to do, but it's, it's wrong. And one of the ways that God, all through the Bible, one of the ways God always wanted his people to stand out was because they were going to be the kinds of people that refused to take advantage of the weak. The way of the world, um, Jesus points out in Matthew 20, he says the Gentiles are the way of the world. You guys, you know how the system works. You know, people with authority, they lord it over others. He says, not so with you. That's the way of the world now. You get authority, you, you use it to 
oppress, to crush, to lord over. He says, not so with you. And this isn't just for pastors. It is for pastors. Really, it is. But it's not just for pastors. This is for anybody with any influence. This is, if you're here and you're a manager at a Best Buy or an In-N-Out or a, if you're a parent or you, any role of influence at all, this is for you. If you're a Christian and you've been given any kind of influence, you've been given a, a charge to lead, as Jesus said, which is to lead by laying our lives down. So we don't want to um, look the other way. We, we don't want to participate in causing it. You know, um, we're, we're going to try our best to, to make sure, you know, we're not causing oppression and all those things. But, but I just want to just let you in on this. If you start down this road, it's going to be a matter of time before you get really overwhelmed. And you start just, yeah, just kind of going, what, what am I supposed to do with all this? And, and I'm not going to read this bit of the passage to you, but I'd encourage you to go back and read the end of Ecclesiastes 4 into chapter 5. Where Solomon says some pretty like straight up hard stuff to say about God. I mean, see, he says some like like tent revival, sweaty preacher, organ playing in the background kind of stuff about God. He says things like, um, God has no pleasure in fools, and God is the one you must fear. And he says these like really hard things about God. And I think what he's doing there in the context of this world full of suffering is he is both reminding and he's giving an invitation. He is, he's reminding the listeners that in this world full of powerful people doing, doing wicked things, there is a God in heaven who sees it all. So it's a reminder of God's role in all of this. God actually is in heaven and God sees all of it. And then it's an invitation to come to him and to learn from him. And so I think that's the next thing that we are to do in this world full of suffering is to put our hope in God who will one day make things right. We, li- we live in a hard world, but Jesus is coming back. I mean, Solomon saw some stuff. Good for Solomon. But God sees it all. Every tear. Everything. He sees it all. And scripture doesn't just tell us that God sees all of this. It calls us to hope in him. I love this example in, in Micah um, 7, verses 2 through 3. The godly has perished from the earth, Micah says. There's no one upright among mankind. I mean, maybe you felt like that. They all lie and wait for blood. And each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge, those with authority, yeah, they ask for a bribe. The great man utters the evil desire in his heart, thus they weave it together. Paints this really wicked, awful, oppressive, you know, just depressing picture. And then, but, but, then, but then he doesn't just say that. Then, then Micah goes on to say in verse 7, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. That is our hope, is that, is that Jesus will, he hears us, he sees it, and one day vengeance will be his. And, and the, the way the Bible ends in, in Revelation, it says that, that um, God's going to wipe every tear from every eye. God, God, he's going to draw close to those who are weeping, those who are suffering, those who are in pain. And then he says this thing, and he says, and I will be with them, and they will be with me, and they will dwell with me, and I will be with them, and they will never. And kind of, what, what's, what's this about? Well, God wants to be with us. That's great. That is what it's about. But it's, I think there's something else going on there. People who've been abused, people who've been hurt, people who've been marginalized, 
you know, we, uh, one of the things we do as a church is we help people get out of human trafficking. And um, the, the PTSD that, that those girls deal with, they are always looking over their shoulder. They are convinced that they are going to be found. The, the way that people who are abused feel, like, when are they coming back? I know they're going to find me again. I think there's something to this. God says, they'll be with me, and I'll be with them. They'll dwell with me. It's God's way of saying it, and no one's going to bother you anymore. I love how Titus 2 puts this. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope. I love that. That's, what, that's how the Bible describes this thing that we're waiting for, our blessed hope. But then it goes on and it says this last little thing there. It says, you know, in the meantime, that we're meant to be people who are zealous for good works. And I think that we, I think it's the last thing we see in this Ecclesiastes passage. It's the last thing that we're meant to do if we're going to be people, the people of God on mission in a world full of suffering, is to be a people who are eager to be a source of comfort for the oppressed. Eager to be a source of comfort for the oppressed. There's this part in um, that Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes passage there at the beginning that it just, like, it just kept sticking out to me. He said, says it a couple of times. He says, I, I saw that everyone was oppressed, and I saw everyone was sad. I saw everyone was weeping. I saw there was powerful people causing it. And each time he says the same thing. Do you remember it? It's, he said, and there was no one to comfort them. And there was no one to comfort them. There was no one to comfort them. There was no one to comfort them. And um, it's like that's an evil all in it, itself. Like there's this evil that's happening to these people, but then there's this secondary evil where there's no one to comfort them. And, you know, we can't change everything, but God will, right? We can hope in him one day, God will. But it doesn't mean in the meantime we sit here going, well, one day God will, you know? Just hang in there, everybody. God bless you. God will one day. No, one day God will. But in the meantime, we can be people who comfort. We can be a people who comfort. So, um, yeah. Like, our life is hard. It's like really, really hard. And I'm not, I'm not wishing our life on any of you. But if you wonder why, you know, we pull ourselves out of bed to go to overdose calls and things like that, it's because we want to be a comfort to those who are suffering. A lot of people in our church, I'm sure here, have taken up foster care. It's because it's not because they don't have anything better to do. It's because they want to be a comfort. And I've been there. I've, um, yeah. Hmm. Um, been there when the kids are um, yeah and they're packing their stuff and so um, we care about that we care about all these things and so many more um, we 
we should be a people who want to comfort those who are suffering, those who are oppressed. No matter where you go, even Trader Joe's, all the smiley people in there are going to be people who are suffering. I heard a quote uh, some time ago. It said, be kind because everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And so what can we be? Well, we can be the people of God who comfort them. We can be people who the Bible says we weep with those who weep. We don't look the other way. We don't just run after stuff our neighbors have. We don't say, well, they probably deserved it. Now we weep with those who weep. So for Jesus, the Bible says, was moved with compassion. It, it literally means he, he willingly entered into suffering. He saw suffering and he didn't run away. He ran into it. This week, you're going to have a lot of opportunities. You might not have like a straight out, hey, someone tell me the gospel kind of opportunity, but you'll have the opportunity where you'll be around people who are suffering, where you get to go and you get to, to be a comfort to them. Um, and we don't do it, in case you're here and you're wondering, well, why do we? it's not just because we're nice. A lot of us aren't. I'm not. Um, but it's because of what Jesus has done for us. And that's just, the, I'll just read this quick verse as we look to close here. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, um, who comforts us, it's the first thing that happens in all our affliction, like any kind, so that, it's not just so that we feel better. Hallelujah. Happy Sunday. No. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. He comforts us because he cares about us. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. But there's like this other purpose to his comfort for us. It's so that we can be people who give comfort, the comfort we've been given. Now that, that, that requires that you be someone who's being filled up by God's comfort. You're not just running out there being Mr. Nice and Mrs. Nice to the community because you're going to get crushed. You're going to run on fumes real fast. You're going to get just annihilated by the levels of sadness that you're going to find yourself. But, but we get filled up by his comfort so that we're comforted so that we can go be a comfort. So if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, well, the message of the Bible is not just that everything is vapor and vanity. It's not just that. It's come to Jesus because he satisfies. It's not just, oh, that's bad. It's, man, and Jesus is so good. He's so good. And he says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Things that, satisfaction that stuff and sex and money and everything could never give you. The weary, the thirsty, the hungry says, come to me. I'll satisfy you. And that's you. And there's no shame in you being desperate, being thirsty, being hungry. That's where all of us are. The invitation is to come to him. If you're hearing already a Christian, we don't just tell the people to come to him. We come to him. We don't just say, I'm back in 1987, I came to Jesus. And it was great that one time. No, we keep coming to him. That's what we keep doing. We don't walk out of here, I got to do better and try harder. Okay, good luck. No, I'm going to come to Jesus. 
And you guys are going to take communion in a minute, which is a great way to come to Jesus. To come to the one who left comfort and left power. I mean, Solomon saw it, but that's about it, right? Jesus did something about it. He left it. He left heaven. He was born vulnerable, marginalized, weak, poor. His whole life, he was ridiculed. A man of sorrows. Abandoned by everybody. Murdered. Although he'd done nothing wrong. And we get to come to him who did all that for us. And we get to get comforted so that we can go share that comforting, that comfort with others. And um, lastly, if you're here and you are someone who's going through suffering and you already lied and told everybody you were fine, um, man, the hope is not just that one day God's gonna make everything right. That's hope for you. But the hope is that right now, today, God cares about where you're at right now. There's this uh, funeral that Jesus goes to, or this, this yeah, it's a funeral. And, um, and he tells one sister of the brother, you know, hey, I'm coming, you know, don't worry, I'm, I'm Lord of the, you know, the dead. I'm, I'm the Lord of the resurrection. I'm coming back, right? So he does that. But he, the other sister, he just weeps. And if you're here and you're really suffering, Jesus doesn't want to just tell you that one day it's going to be okay. He does want to tell you that. He also wants to say and right now. He cares for you. He wants to weep with you and be with you. And one of the ways he does that is by doing it through his people, his body, the church. And so there'll be time for you here in a minute as well if you need to just talk about that or pray about that. Any of us would love to do that for you. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to hand over to Kelly.